This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Axonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Welcome to a new season of Hacker Valley Red. This season is themed a hacker's mind. And throughout this season, we're going to be getting a fresh perspective on how some of the best hackers in our industry work. We also speak to threat intelligence analysts and criminologists to learn how they track the tactics of a hacker. To start out this season, we speak to Chris Hadnagy, the author of Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Lead Them Better Off for Having Met You. Chris is also a pioneer in social engineering and helps thousands of people in and out of the cybersecurity industry. Without further ado, let's jump right in to this season of Hacker Valley Red. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, exploring a hacker's mind. This episode, we have an individual that has just about done it all, from creating the world's first social engineering framework, all the way to hosting a world-renowned podcast, and in fact, the first social engineering podcast. Our guest this episode is Chris Hadnagy, founder and CEO of Social Engineer LLC, and repeat guest on the podcast Chris, welcome back to the show. I am excited to be here. I love this show. So thank you guys <laughs> for having me back. No, thank you. You're one of our good friends. And you know, you have so many philosophies that I personally believe in from a cybersecurity standpoint, and even just life in general. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. So the quick bird's eye view of this is I started off in the industry uh, really as an exploit writer, but not good at that. So I want to really caveat that. I stunk <laughs> at that job. So I was working with offensive security as a pen tester and a trainer and trying to write exploits. And when I realized that that was not going to be my future, I started dabbling in social engineering. And it worked, but I didn't know why or how. And that's when I created the world's first framework by just reading a billion books on psychology, influence, persuasion, nonverbals, facial expressions, just reading everything I can and documenting things I would try and, and looking at the science and going, okay, I tried this, this worked, this is amazing. And that created the first framework, which led to my first book uh, that came out in 2010. I would not read that one if you haven't read it. <laughs> I, I would avoid it. It's really bad. I mean, it really is. But then I went on to write three more books after that. And just this year, the beginning of this year, my fifth book came out, which is a culmination of the last, 
I got to say 12 years, 11 years of my life, which is applying social engineering now to something completely different, which is everyday life and not to security. So uh, that's called human hacking, win friends, influence people and leave them feeling better for having met you. You know, it's that last piece of that title that really stuck out to me is to leave them better off for having met you. And the reason why that's so important to me is that's ultimately my goal in life is I want to be that person. When I walk in a room, I want to make everyone's life better, whether it's through making them laugh, giving them knowledge, or just making their day brighter in general. When I think of someone that could do that, I think of someone like maybe like a Barack Obama. If <laughs> It's not every day Barack Obama would walk into your barbershop, but if he did, it might change your day and it might change your year. You're like, oh, I, I got to meet Barack Obama this right. year. And of course, I might never get to the level of Barack Obama, but I still want to have that mindset of making people's lives better for being a part of it because no one wants to be that person that brings them down. Why was that such an important part of even the title of your book? You know, it's a great question, first of all. Uh, as always, you guys do this. It's like amazing. But <laughs> when I started off in this industry with my own company, started Social Engineer, I had a mentality that I see often in this industry, which is I have to win. Right? I, I must win at all costs. I don't, I don't care how people feel. I need to win because my value is wrapped up in my ability to succeed as a pen tester. And I saw that that attitude led to a lot of really negative consequences for my clients because I would oftentimes step over the boundaries and I would start using manipulation. And I, yes, I would win at the end, but then I would never get the repeat client. And people would feel bad and my conscience would bother me. And it just didn't feel nice. So I, I challenged myself. I said, you know, one day after a really bad test where I really used a negative pretext, I said, okay, can I do this job and not be a jerk? Like, is that even possible? Mm. Can someone do this job and really leave people feeling better for having met you? And I said, I'm going to challenge myself for the next six months. I'm not going to use one pretext that is fear inducing, like no breaches, no, no threats, no firing, nothing really damaging. I'm going to use pretext that when someone found out it was a, a test, they can laugh and go, huh, you got me, man. And mm. I said, I'm going to challenge myself next six months. Let's see if I can do this. And I did. And in six months, I not only was able to accomplish every, every win that I wanted, but I was able to leave my clients going, man, that was an amazing SE engagement. Like, can we do that again in six months? And I was getting repeat clients without even having to ask for them. And I went, okay, wait. So you're telling me that I can be just like the bad guys, but actually be cool and not be a jerk about it? <laughs> and then I said, okay, you know what, guys? Here, company, you know, I had very small team. We're going to make this our new philosophy. We're going to try this. We're going to only do positive pretexts. And all of a sudden, I was getting clients that were huge massive banks, healthcare, because they heard about this guy who wanted to do SE, but actually cared about their people. And once I saw the effect of that, I'm like, this is going to change my training. I'm going to, I'm going to train people. Now I changed my course from, it used to be social engineering for penetration testing. And now I changed it to advanced practical social engineering. I started to teach things more about the difference between influence and manipulation and trying to get people to realize that, look, you can do this and you don't have to be the bad guy. You can actually be nice to people and you can still teach them how to be secure. 
And that really adjusted everything. I mean, my company philosophy, the way I worked, the way I treated my employees, it, it my family, everything. It, it actually affected my whole life, that, that philosophy. I want to dissect the title a little bit more. So you also have win friends and influence people. And I like the difference that you talk about between influence and manipulation, really setting a difference for yourself there. And I'm sure when you're being more nice and kind to people, leaving them better than before you met them, they probably want to be your friend even after the engagement. Maybe a few people have said, hey, like, let's definitely hang out like you were talking about as you were social engineering me. But I did want to ask, in your perspective, what is the difference between influence and manipulation? Where does the line start and stop? Yeah. So the title of my book is like a homage to Dale Carnegie, right? So he wrote that book so, Mm -hmm. so long ago, like back in the, I think it was even the thirties. And that's a pivotal book for me. Like when I read that, I was like, wow, this book is ancient, but it's so applicable. It's amazing. So I I kind of said, I want to give homage to him, but add a 2021 flavor to it because we are in a time in the world where I feel like when you just look at how people communicate on the internet, over Twitter, over the, the web, it, it, is, it is horrific. I mean, people say some of the most horrible things to complete strangers that you wouldn't say to your worst enemies. It blows my mind. So I look at, okay, influence versus manipulation. Well, if I use the phrase, hey, he's an influential person, he's an influencer, we think of someone positive. We think of someone who motivates people to take an action or someone who would be a role model. But if I say, wow, that person's a manipulator, people don't go, oh, really? Wow, that's cool. No, they go, oh, really? Oh, man. We think of manipulation kind of like forcing. So I, I always define influence as getting someone to want to do what you want them to do. Because if it's your idea, that means you thought about it, you've accepted it as your idea, and now you're going to take action on it. But manipulation, I define as getting someone to do what you want, period. That's it. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you want to do it. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. I'm going to get you to do it. And at the end, most of the time, what's left is, is what, like what we call buyer's remorse. Somebody feels bad about the action they just took because they took it and didn't really want to do it. So I find that those differences to be essential in understanding that definition and why I chose it in the book. It's such a human book, you know, pun intended. And this, the book you talk about the last time you used manipulation on a job. And I'm not going to spoil it for everybody out there, so definitely read it. But you talk about what you did and how it made you feel after the fact. And so when you look at the, the thing that you're trying to put out there, the positivity, to have that offensive mindset but not be a jerk about it, that's a really hard line to balance. And one of the things that was so incredible to me, and it's such a slight detail, but for the folks that read the book, they'll see what I'm talking about, is in the very beginning of the book, Someone might say, oh, I'm going to get this book and I'm going to use it on my spouse. I'm going to use it on my business partner. I'm going to use it on my friends. But in the very beginning of the book, you have a contract that's there for ethics. And there's a line for them to write their name on that dotted line so that even if they were going to use that for ill reasons, when they see that contract, that might cause them to pause and really think about the intention that they have with using the stuff in the book, because the stuff in the book could be used to build relationships. It could be used to build businesses and business partners and, you know, husband and wife or, or spouse in general. There's so many things that you can apply these things to, 
But when you see that contract in the beginning of the book, it might change how you use the information. What was the thought process that went into even putting that in the very beginning? Yeah, I, I love that question because I had someone ask me like, you can't enforce this. So isn't it silly to put it there? And I'm like, no, think about it. There's high schools all over this country that do drug-free contracts with students, right? So a student will willingly, they don't, they don't force them, willingly come in and sign a contract saying that for my four years here in high school, I promise to not abuse drugs and to not get drunk and to not party too hard. And it's a piece of paper that's not enforceable. But there's something psychological that happens when we sign our name to a contract. It's, it's almost you think of the principle that Robert Cialdini came up with in his book, Influence, that talks about commitment and consistency, that when we commit to a certain action, we're basically telling our brains, I've made this decision. Now, our brains get hurt if we decide to become inconsistent with that. So it really takes a lot for us to change our minds on things. So once we say, I'm gonna, I commit to this, I'm going to do it, now we, our brains want us to be consistent. And this works in all ways, even with negative biases. If I decide I don't like somebody because of one thing or another, my brain only looks for proof that I'm right. So if I commit to a good thing, my brain only looks for evidence to say, yes, what you're doing is good. So you got to keep doing this. And, and it rewards us when we do with dopamine. Mm -hmm. So that contract in the beginning, when I put it there, my thought was, yes, you're right. I can enforce this. There's not a legal binding agreement here. But if you agree to sign this and say that before I read this book, I realize that I'm basically arming you with a weapon, right? It's like taking you to the gun range. I'm giving you a weapon. And this weapon can hurt people. And it can really damage lives. So I want you to commit in your heart, in your mind, and on this paper that you're not going to use these skills to be mischievous, devious, or manipulative. And if you can commit that, then you're more likely to not break that commitment to yourself by signing that, that contract in the beginning. I love that. I also love the fact that you sound like you're an avid reader. It sounds like maybe your personality and the books that you create are a culmination of many other things that you've read or that you've learned. This is going to be a question and it's a moving target because I'm sure it changes day by day. But if you had to combine a few books to describe the type of person or your mindset, what would those few books be? Ooh, I like that question. Okay. So, you know, I already mentioned Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. That, that to me is a book I read when I was much younger and I, it just kind of really hit me home. But if I had to think about the books that really uh, stick with me now and that I use on a daily basis in my job and in my life, Amy Cuddy's Presence, just an unbelievable life-changing book because it's not just about the science that she conducted. It's about her overcoming unbelievable odds, mm -hmm. people telling her to her face that she is going to fail and she doesn't. And that to me makes this book like better than any, you know, fake fiction you can read, right? right? Joe Navarro's What Everybody is Saying. I love that book because it breaks down such a complex topic and he writes like he's your dad or your granddad just talking to you like a nice guy just saying, hey, let me talk to you here about this. And here's what this means based on my experience. Uh, Dr. Ekman's Emotion Revealed. Again, 
one of the most brilliant minds. I mean, he's one of Time Magazine's most 50 influential psychologists in human history. And he writes books that people like me, uneducated people can understand. Right. <laughs> so I love that. And if I can add one more, boy, I tell you, <laughs> I, it's going to be a toss up. Man, it might have to be two because I really love Daniel Goldman's Emotional Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that book is is also one of those things that just changed me. And then Robin Dreek's first book, um, the the top ten ways to build rapport with anyone fast. Yeah. That I, I know that's a lot of books, but those <laughs> books are ones that like they sit in arms range and uh, my on my shelf, and I refer to them all the time. So like if I need something, I I can turn and I can grab any one of those books I just mentioned and and pull it out. You know what's so great about this world of cybersecurity, this world in general is that all those, most of those people that you mentioned, and maybe even all of them, are people that you now know in real life. They're people that you read about, and now they're your friends, they're your colleagues, which is incredible. But I don't know if you even realize this, but that's how we look at you. You know, we started reading <laughs> your book. You know, we became fans of your stuff. You know, we've sat in your courses. And now it's like you're our friend and you're somebody that we can reach out to. We are so excited whenever you come out with new books. I was beyond excited when you came out with Human Hacking because that this is the exact book that I, I thought that needed to be out there in the world and you made it. And I thought this is absolutely brilliant. What does it really mean to you that you can be an influence to people around the world to take offensive hacking, take social engineering and do something positive with it? First of all, I want to thank you. That was maybe one of the top most validating <laughs> compliments I've ever got. So thank you. That was really like that touched me. I'll tell you a couple of things that happened when the book came out that I didn't expect that that really affected me emotionally in a positive way. I got an email from a mother who said she bought the book because someone else read it and told her to read it. And they've been applying all the principles with their teenage daughter who they were not getting along with. And they were having massive family problems. And now they're sitting and talking and working through their problems. And I did not expect that. I get, I'm right now, if you can see me, I got goosebumps just saying that out loud because Same I'm here. like, whoa, like, this is a parent telling me that I'm saving their family with a book called human hacking. Mm. What the heck? Right. I had a, a guy email me and, and uh, tell me that he read the book and then him and his wife sat and read it together. And now they're fixing their marriage. What? Wow. What? Like, you know, like, this is not what I wrote it for. I didn't understand that. And when people wrote me these things and they weren't in reviews, they were private emails. They were just pouring themselves out to me. And I was like, I, I, I don't even know how to respond to this because that is amazing. It makes me feel amazing, but I didn't expect it. So I, I, don't, I know that doesn't answer your question fully for me. I guess to answer it, it's, it's, it, it touches my heart because I didn't, I felt like you, I knew this book had to happen, but to me it had to happen because I saw in my life the way that these skills were able to be used and better my life. And I thought, okay, you know what? I want to share this with the world because I went through a journey where I was a manipulative person, where maybe I was more of the hacker than I, I should be. And, and then I changed and that affected everything. It affected my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my employees, my business, my clients. 
it affected everything. My nonprofit, all of that became better. And I said, I need to share this. I didn't expect that it would affect other people in even more profound ways. So it just feels emotional, I guess, is the only way to describe it. It makes me emotional to think about it. You know, and the reason why I felt like this was such an important book to be out there is because quite often I was the odd person out. When I was a kid, people made fun of me. I didn't have any friends. And to be honest with you, I felt quite alone when in my childhood all the way through middle school. And it wasn't until I said, you know what I'm going to do? I have this class, this gym, but the gym teacher just didn't care about what anyone did. So a lot of folks folks just sat in the bleachers and you could do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't even have to dress up. What kind of school is this? But <laughs> so I, I said, you know, what I'm going to do because I have this time and everyone's just sitting around. I'm going to walk up to a new person each day and get to know them. And sure, I might be met with rejection. Sure, a person might make fun of me, but I'm going to continue to try and to build rapport with people that I don't even know. And to be honest with you, those skills snowballed into what we do today. Uh, you know, one of the things that is still one of our favorite comments from you is that, you know, we ask questions that no one's ever asked you before Yeah. in that yeah. the very first episode we had together. And so that stuck with us and we doubled down on that. And we want to get better at asking those questions to really get to know folks, because sometimes when you go on an interview, they keep it very surface level and they don't get to know somebody. The one thing that I find fascinating about humanity and even the stuff that you bring up in the book is you talk about empathy and you even have like a little call out box about empathy. What does empathy mean to you? And what would you say is one of the best examples of empathy that you've seen in your life? Man, there you go. Like you are accomplishing your goal. First of all. <laughs> okay. Just so you know, you are accomplishing your goal. Um, for me, empathy is, it is, so actually, even more than me, it, scientifically, empathy is the thing that connects us as humans. It, it's, the, it's the one feeling that we have where we can look at somebody and it, it puts us on the same plane as them. When you see someone who has a prejudice or a serious bias against someone, then they lack that. They lack empathy. People who feel contempt don't have empathy. Psychopaths, sociopaths don't feel empathy. It is a such a strong feeling that we have that it connects us. It makes us, it's what motivates us to care for others and want to take care of others and want to help others and be good people. And, and yet uh, people who are very empathetic can also feel so much that they can be hurt more easily, right? So there's a, there's a pro and a con. There's some danger to it. You got to watch uh, yourself if you're a very empathetic person. But um, but maybe to me, I th and, and this is going to seem a little braggy because it's about my daughter, but, um, uh, but I'm really proud of her for this. She was much younger and I had been working with her and teaching her nonverbals and showing her how to read faces and, and, and not, not to make her a superhero, but to tell her like, this can help you communicate better. If you understand emotions that people are expressing, then you can communicate better with them. And one day, my wife and my daughter and I were driving. Um, we lived up in Pennsylvania. We were driving home, and we were in the little city area. So I was maybe doing 30, 35 miles an hour. And we passed this woman sitting on a bench, and my daughter said, Dad, did, did you see her face? 
And I said, oh, no, I wasn't paying attention. And she said, she is really, really sad, more than sad. She's showing grief. We need to turn around and make sure she's okay. Mm. And I said, no, honey, like she's a stranger. We're not. And she's like, dad, you always taught me that if we have the power to help someone that we should. And I'm like, oh, man, like using my own words against me, right? (laughs) So I'm like, okay, you know, I do a U-turn. And I said, you know, just wait. I want to make sure she's like mentally stable and whatever. And of course, she doesn't listen to me. As soon as I park the car, Maya hops out and she runs over to the woman. She's like maybe eight or nine, maybe somewhere around there. And she looks at the woman and she says, hey, my dad and I were driving by and you look really sad. Are you okay?" And this woman just pauses and looks at this little girl like, like, who are you? Like, what, what? Like, you know, not mad, but just shocked, surprised. And she looks up at me and she just starts crying. And she goes, my husband just kicked me out of the house and I have nowhere to go. And I'm trying to find a shelter and this and that and this and that. And Amaya sat down next to her and just said, let us help you. Let us help you find a place to go. Let's make a couple calls. Let's let's see if we can get you a place to be warm. And this woman just was crying and just said to me at the end, can I hug her? And I said, yes, of course. Mm. And, you know, we gave her a little help. And at the end, she was like, I'm going to be fine. I have some friends coming. It's going to be okay." And she just thanked us for stopping and just giving her a moment to be a human and let her have her emotions with no judgment. And that to me is what empathy is. It's, It's understanding that, yeah, did she act the way that I would act? No, but that doesn't matter. Empathy says it's okay. It's okay. You have your emotions and your emotions are okay. And it's not up to me to tell you how to express them or feel them. I need to try to understand why you are expressing them this way. And that gives me understanding, compassion, and sympathy for you, which all are aspects of empathy. So uh, that to me is a story I told in, in, that, in the book because it just stuck with me for my life. And it was one of those things that I was a proud dad moment to see my daughter applying those lessons, you know, and becoming the, the person she is today. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful connection tool. So powerful. And it feels great helping someone, especially someone that's in yeah. need that you didn't even know that you could help or that you should help. If you take that time out of your your day busy schedule, then like you said in the book, you're leaving people better than before you had met them. A lot of people need like science and data and numbers to really believe in this type of stuff, to believe that how effective social engineering is. And I love that you referenced Amy Cuddy's book because she gets into a lot of the interpersonal aspects, but also gets into the science of it all and and, and shares some of those details. Have you thought about doing some surveys about like the effects of social engineering? And uh, have you already done that? Yes, I have thought about it. Now, have I done it? Not on a scientific level. I, I have a segue that will hope that maybe it will be an announcement. Um, it's an announcement. That's what <laughs> all I, the only way I can label it. But um, I am about to launch something called the Institute for Social Engineering. And it is going to be a wonderful six-month school where people can go from any spot you're at, from zero if you are, to getting a job in InfoSec uh, with practical, hands-on, applicable education. We're not talking about sitting around reading books and answering Q&A. We're talking about live hacking experience. And to do that, I'm working with this amazing woman, Patricia Bockelman, uh, who we hired on at SECOM. And she is 
master's degree, PhD, and understanding all this stuff. I can't even say the things that she understands because I don't know the <laughs> words. I'm not that, you know. And she wants to help me produce science behind understanding what makes someone a good social engineer. And, and, and when we say good, I don't mean from the malicious point, a good professional social engineer. So that way we can educate those skills and get more people like that in the industry and also help companies avoid those people who appear to be good social engineers, but have a lack of morals and ethics because they do more damage to you, your company and your clients than not. And there's many of those out there. So trying to really enhance those topics. So yes, I want to do more scientific research into this. For now, um, what I do is I use the science that is from the greatest minds on the planet, mm -hmm. like Amy, and 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 you know, like Dr. Cuddy and Dr. Ekman and Joe Navarro. I look at their research and all the years they put into these things, and I say, okay, how does this work? You know, Dr. Goldman's research on amygdala hijacking became a whole chapter of uh, the book that I wrote with Dr. Ekman. Right, it became a whole chapter on that because I looked at that research and I. I hypothesized, can we weaponize this? And Dr. Ekman was like, yes, we can. So let's write about it. So we did. We wrote about weaponizing amygdala hijacking as a social engineer. Um, so I haven't, you know, I'm not doing the science, but I'm using science from the greatest minds on the planet to talk about why social engineering works. That's tremendous news about your institute, but also some changes to your conference. I do realize that you are changing the name slightly to make it even more inclusive of some of those incredible pieces of research. Do you want to talk to that for a minute? Yeah, I, I'm so excited about this. So two years we so two years so far we ran our conference called the Human Hacking Conference. And it was phenomenal. I mean, the year one, right before COVID, I mean, it literally was a month before COVID hit uh, the Orlando area. We had this amazing event. People came in from all over the globe. And I was told it was one of the best events uh, people had attended. And, I, and it was because of the connection, the human connection that we had there. Then the second year, unfortunately, we had to go virtual, but it was still wildly successful. But there was things that happened year one and year two that I saw that the people in the outside world, the non-infosec world, were confused by the name. And I have amazing people coming, like Joe Navarro came for the first two years, right? And he's coming back for this third year. And they were like, Joe, why is Joe speaking at a hacking conference? It doesn't make sense. And when we would reach out to non-hacking communities, right? So you guys get it. You're an infosec. You know what we mean when we say human hacking. But others thought, oh, is it malicious? Is it a bad conference? Are you teaching us how to hurt people? And that is the opposite of the leave them feeling better for having met you. So we thought long and hard. We hired a marketing company. We sat down and we said, you know what? What is it that we're trying to accomplish with this conference? And that was a question a marketing guy asked me straight out. He said, forget the name, forget everything. Tell me what you want. And I said, what I really want out of this conference is to teach people how they can be better humans, how their behavior can be audited. It can be edited. We can, anyone can do it. I'm living proof of it. And the people that I invite to teach at this conference are the people who have influenced me to change who I am and who, how my behavior is. And from that came the name, the human behavior conference, or we're calling it short Hubicon. <laughs> so for human behavior and Hubicon is, um, it, we're, we're making a massive change to it. It is basically going to be steeped in science. 
I am just so excited, man. Joe jo Navarro mm-hmm. coming back. Anna Marie Oud, she's from uh, Amsterdam and is a conflict resolution expert. Robin Dreek is coming back. R. Paul Wilson is coming from the UK, uh, from the TV show, The Real Hustle. I got Ian Rowland talking about cold reading. I have Amy Herman coming to talk about visual perception. I have Courtney uh, coming in to talk about uh, things like deception and how we lie to ourselves when we're, when we're having addiction problems. Dr. Jessica Barker is coming in to talk about biases and how they affect us. My team is doing a whole fishing course. And, and I'm so excited about this. I have Amy Cuddy coming in to talk about her work and that she did in the wow. book Presence and to have some amazing announcements with her there too. So it's we're steeping it in science. We're, we're making it so it's something that people can come to and walk away you know, uh, we have a course from Robin Dreek, all of like he's he's running a spy boot camp. Like he's taking an actual case that he had in recruiting a spy from a foreign government. And he's going to use that case to teach people how to use spy recruiting techniques in everyday life. Really? You know, like we just have I have Josh Baton. He's an actor from um, from Hollywood. He's in so many movies and TV shows. He's coming in and he's doing a method acting class. Like it, it's my mind is blown. We have so many amazing people coming in to talk and teach and not just not just talk to teach some of these most amazing concepts that are going to be able to change your life, change your behavior. Yeah. March of 2022 in Orlando. Definitely wouldn't miss it for the world. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that clicked on this podcast episode and they had no idea what they were going to get, but they knew it was going to be something about the offensive side of cybersecurity. And now you have their attention. They're listening to some of the things you're saying about people. They're listening to some of the things you're saying about being a good person and seeing the humanity in folks. So as they're listening to this podcast, what is the one thing that you would tell them about being empathetic? being that good person? Because I'm sure there are folks on the offensive side of cybersecurity that were focused on just getting the job done by any means necessary and not caring about the person on the other end of that attack. What is that one thing that you would tell them that now they understand that empathy is powerful, that ethics are powerful? What is that one piece of advice you would have for them to start marching down that path? I'm going to give you two if I can. One from the InfoSec side and one from the personal side. From the InfoSec side, this past year, one of the things that I saw overwhelmingly that disturbed me was companies that were using pretext in their security awareness auditing, like phishing emails, of things that truly damage their employees, like offering bonuses after telling them that there were no bonuses, just to see if they would click on a fish. And when you're listening to a podcast like this and we're talking about the importance of empathy, remember that just because the bad guys do it doesn't mean you need to do it as an infosec guy. The bad guys will also break into your computer and use your nude photos to exploit you. The bad guys will also kidnap your children and threaten them. Don't You're not going to do those things. So don't come up with pretexts that truly damage the psychology of your people. It, 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 it makes you an adversary, not an advocate. And as a security person, empathy dictates that we should be an advocate for our people. 
We want them to be secure. We want them to be safe. We want their families to be safe so they can enjoy coming to work and supporting their family by making our company awesome. We're not going to do that if we create an unethical and a lack of empathy in the way that we audit them. And the the second thing I'll say, if I can, is uh, because this is not just related to InfoSec. This is related to all of us, is that right now on the Internet, there is so much hate. There is so much dissension. Uh, In this country, we have turned uh, wearing a mask and getting a vaccine into something political. We have turned our opinions into the only thing that counts. And if uh, if you tell me my opinion's wrong, I hate you as a person. Uh, Empathy can change that. If if you just say, you know what, this is my opinion, and you're not going to change it, and that's okay, I can say that to myself. I don't need to say that publicly. So I want to understand why you have a different opinion. I'm not going to be converted by it, but I truly want to understand. If you and I don't agree on some of these things, let me learn why. And if we approach conversations on social media that way, we can end so much of this bickering and childlike behavior that that leads to such hateful speech and such harmful things that, that really can hurt us. And it hurts our industry. It hurts people. It damages people's ability to think and feel safe. And literally, empathy could change all of that. Chris, as always, it is an honor to have you on the podcast. You just gave us a pure masterclass on hacking empathetically. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, your books, your conference, your institute, and all the incredible things you have going on with you and your company, what are the best ways that people can do that? So probably the one easy way is I'm very active on Twitter at the handle human hacker. Um, and we will be releasing everything on that, um, you know, there. And then you can come to social-engineer.com or social-engineer.org uh, for information on other things that we'll be releasing. But I always put everything through my human hacker Twitter account. I, I have the privilege of writing a column for psychology today. So I tweet that and being and any of the other things that I talked about, like the conference and, and the institute will all be talked about on there as we make these announcements more public. Excellent. Keep up all the great work. I'm excited to keep following you and keep on having you on the podcast. We'd highly recommend everyone to do the same. Thank you so much, Chris, and we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.